Welcome to the Life in Deep Ellum podcast, exploring the sacred in art, faith, and community. There's some new faces and some folks we haven't seen in a while who may not know who I am. I'm Baranda Fermin. I'm currently serving as the interim pastor um, and interim executive director here at Life in Deep Ellum. Life in Deep Ellum. Um, and as you can as you can hear, we've been busy. Um, and so, um, I'm going to be out of a job soon and just get to come here and guest myself. So I'm super excited about what the pastoral search team is doing, um, or at least only wearing one hat. I don't know. Maybe, you know, it may take us, who knows what God is doing. It may take us a little while to get an executive director, but you know, I'll, we'll see. But if, if I can go to one job, one, I mean, I know I'm West Indian and Afro, uh, Latina, but if I could just go to one one job, I, I might, it, it, might be, it might be a good thing. So we are, um, we are in uh, the second week of a series um, in my pastoral role. We are in the second week of a series called Growing Up Jesus. Um, we have a series coming up. We also, on Tuesday, um, if you're available, if you want to send us ideas, we have a, uh, a worship planning team meeting. And that's when, like, the details of a series, like what the venue looks like, what the questions are, um, the burning questions that the community would really like to hear, our insights and scriptural um, uh, musings on, that's when that happens. They happen on the fourth Tuesday of every month. And guess what this Tuesday is? Right, so you're more than welcome to come um, to come to that as we talk about the next series. But this series is called "Growing Up Jesus," and so if you need a Bible, um, we have some in the back. Wendy can help you get some. If you're not one of those that have it on your phone or in an app, or if you didn't bring your own, we can definitely get you one. So just let us know. Um, we will be anchored for uh, for today's sermon in the second chapter of Luke. I know, I know, Advent's over. What are we doing there? But And so in the second chapter of Luke, it begins, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that had taken place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph, that's Jesus's earthly father, Mary's betrothed. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. How many of you have prayed for God, and then when something that you thought might have been the thing that you prayed for showed up, you were terrified? But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Hmm. the thing that you've prayed for isn't just for you. It can bring joy to all the people. Let's hold that for a little bit. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, 
A great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the things that have happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in their hearts. So the shepherds sound like extroverts and Mary's just like, and I have nothing to say. Mary is our introvert, right? The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen and when they, in which they had been told. On the eighth day, when it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. So on the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child. So in Jewish practice, the Brie happens in community. So what is said in that sentence is on the eighth day, they took Jesus to his people. They took Jesus to his people. Hey, shepherd. (laughs) We have a new baby that has been brought to be within his people today. We're excited about that. So on the eighth day, When it came time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. Before he was conceived, the community is now witness and affirms the things that were told before Jesus was even conceived. And so Jesus is presented at the temple. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. It is written in the law, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, the child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, the tribe of Asher, She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, 37, and then was as a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. 
coming up to them, this is Joseph and Mary and the baby Jesus. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was on him. That's 98.8% of what we know about Jesus growing up. Next week, Josh will preach about the other 2.1%. But whoo, y'all, Jesus is here. We've been waiting for this. He's here. Like people were like, I've been waiting for this. I can now die. Like literally in the temple, they were like, this is the only thing I've been living for. I've seen him. So who's ready for all the miracles? Who's ready? Are you ready? Are you ready for a miracle? Are you ready for a miracle? Are you ready for a miracle? Okay, yeah, it ain't coming yet. It's, it's not time. It's not, it's not time. We got 30 years liturgically. 30 years. Technically, in our calendar, it's like we got like six more weeks. We got six more. We got, we got, six, we got six more weeks. Um, actually, so we're going to start, we're going to do pre-Lent with the next series. We'll start talking about the miracles. So, um, yeah, so you got two weeks two weeks. But these people got 30 years. This dude was like, I've been living and waiting for this for so long. I'm not even waiting for the miracles. I have now touched the baby that they say will do the miracles and I'm I'm done. Take me. I'm good. (laughs) I mean, the sheer force of life can take us all out. Like how many, like, I know at least three times this week, I'd be like, is Jesus, is this it? Like, those of you who grew up in the 90s with, with, you know, the Cameron kids, like I called my godmom, I was like, oh, you picked up, we're, we're, it's not over. She's, she's the person that I call if I think we might be left behind. Anybody remember? I don't even believe that anymore, but I'm still like, like this is, there's no traffic, let me call my godmom. Like, we are all ready for a miracle. Um, and we got like 30 years of scripture to like get through. Oh, right. So then what... What can there be in focusing on, you know, what we know about Jesus growing up that can get us through this moment? I mean, because God knew. I mean, God knew from the time Moses came. Like, Moses went up to go get some tablets, and they were down there, like, crafting things out of gold. So, like, God knows what, God knows these humans that he has given us. God knows us. Okay, God knows me, because half the time I'm an introvert. It's just me causing the problems in my life. Just, just me, right? So when Jesus was born, like, God could have, we could have just, like, Jesus, like, God put us out of our misery. Like, the child is here. Like, do it. You know, like, baby Yoda, like, just come on. But it's not what God did. And so John 21 and 25 tells us that there were so many remarkable incidents in the life of Jesus Christ that they, they can't even all be written down. And that was just in the three and a half years of ministry that we'll be talking about in a few weeks. And so thankfully, we have the four gospel writers who record a great deal of what took place, including specific details around his birth and bringing him into community that we just went through. Those accounts are told in different ways from different perspectives in Matthew and Mark, as well as in Luke that I just read. The gospel accounts provide rich details regarding the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
and some details about the child that was Christ. But there are so many questions about the life of Jesus before ministry because we are curious beings. We are curious about his childhood, where he was, what he was doing, what was life like for his parents, his rabbis, his teachers. After Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, an angel comes to Joseph again and again, warning one of the times, warning him and Mary that King Herod had not just threatened violence, but had set forth a proclamation promising violence to this child. So Joseph flees, takes Mary with him. The angel appears again where they're set up and like, you got to move again. So they go from Egypt to Bethlehem and then finally they settle in Nazareth. Hmm. Can you imagine? Some of you don't have to try very hard. Can you imagine knowing that your faith and your tradition tells you that parenting is hard anyway? That keeping a whole human being alive is hard anyway? That marriage is hard anyway, let alone to someone who said they got pregnant by the Holy Spirit? And that the way you're supposed to get through the hard things is you're supposed to do these rites and these rituals and these practices and go and be in community. And then God sends an angel to tell you to leave community twice. Okay, so who will help me raise this kid and keep this marriage? And Joseph, as a carpenter or a contractor, depending on how you translate the Greek, that is a relational business. My dad was in it. A work crew can up, particularly, it's COVID times now, you could have a work crew set up and then they be not available. You switch communities, you don't know where to go pick up the day laborers. You don't know what the union allows you to do and doesn't allow you to do. And God forbid you've already finished a project. How are you drumming up more work? Whether you're a contractor, like a carpenter contractor, or a contractor, like I write for people, I create graphics for people, I do consulting work for agencies. You all get what I'm saying. And so they go from Egypt to Bethlehem, back again, twice over, and settle in Nazareth. Joseph dies when Jesus is somewhere between 12 and 30 years old, so before the beginning of Jesus' public life. That's a particular turn of phrase, Jesus' public life. Because Jesus and his family were deeply embedded and engaged in community life from the beginning. Even if we say they had to house themselves with strangers because there was no room at the end in how we like to tell the story, eight days after his birth, he was taken into community. We read that. And so what is the difference between public life and community life? Most scholars, even the ones that we accept within 
our Christian creed make this distinction between community life and public life. And I make the distinction between scholars that we give credence to within our sets of beliefs because there is a whole set of allegorical stories that we do not, not only are not in the gospel canon, but we do not accept within Christian community called the Apocrypha. There's tons of stories about what Jesus did in there, some of them quite entertaining. Part of me wonders, like, like, should J.K. Rowling have really made as much money as she did? Because it's really been written before. It was it's called the Apocrypha. But anyway. Within our sets of beliefs, there is still this distinction between community and public life. And so Joseph dies before Jesus enters public life. But Joseph ushers him into and is the prime reason why Jesus has community. So by the time Jesus begins his public ministry at age 30, so Joseph is notably absent, married is accompanied by Jesus or other relatives in all accounts and entrusted to John at the cross, right? So we know how this goes. Luke tells us how Joseph and Mary brought Jesus to Jerusalem at the age of 12. We'll talk more about that next week. But the Gospels portray Jesus interacting with his mothers and his brothers at several points during his life, even before ministry. So even with the rejection of the apocryphal accounts of the Gospel, the Gospels that we know, Luke, Mark, Matthew, John, place Joseph's death sometime between Jesus' late teens and early 20s. So he's given him enough of his industry, enough of his learning for him to be able to make some kind of living, which is why we know of Jesus the adult as a carpenter. So here's what we know now then from scripture. Jesus didn't stay long in his ancestral city of Bethlehem, no matter how many top 10 Christmas songs um, we sing about it. That Joseph and Mary bring Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem, even after they leave Bethlehem. And that within months, they'd have to journey by night to Egypt to escape multiple murderous rampages at the beck and call of that king. And we know that Jesus did not grow up in either Bethlehem or Jerusalem, but instead in a city called Nazareth. Luke's summation is the thing that I think is most telling for us. Verse 40, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Strength, wisdom, grace. The things that prayers are made of See, strength means to be unassailable in your faith that God is there to guide us through. Strength does not mean, I believe I will be able to handle it all. Strength is an unassailable faith that will figure it out. 
Grace is the divine influence operating in us for our regeneration and sanctification. Grace is that divine gift that helps us get back up over and over and over again. That if I have breath in my body, God trusts me again. And who am I to question that? And then wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. Wisdom is not, I knew the answer automatically. Wisdom is the ability to discern inner qualities and relationships. To sit still and look at something with enough honesty that even if the thing you have to do is hard, you know what you have to do. So scripturally, all of these are qualities gifted by God, strength, wisdom, grace. They don't operate in our isolation. In order for us to be strong, in order for us to be wise, in order for us to be gracious, we must be amongst each other. When we are in regular relationship with others, that's called community. So what is our part? What is your part in the Messiah's work in this earth? What is your part in the work, in the assignment that is the reason why Jesus came here. Community. Within Christian community, discussion of our curiosities. What was Jesus doing? Why was Jesus doing that? Hold on, so he was in three different places? Can yield amazingly helpful fruit. Outside of community, curiosity is the stuff that drives us insane. And that's not hyperbole. It's the stuff that stokes ideations, whether suicidal or homicidal. The connection between experience, which we're comfortable talking about, and preparation, The idea of asking ourselves, how did I get here? Where am I at? If we are alone, it's a crisis. Curiosity can breed chaos and existential crisis. And yet if we are together and we ask these questions, I mean, that's the stuff the documentaries are made of. That's the stuff that happens in garages that then become Microsoft. That's the stuff, according to some lore, that is what happens when your grad professor is on sabbatical. And so two graduate students say, I wonder if we could categorize the entire internet before he gets back. And it becomes Google. Curiosity in community prepares us to answer the unknown that will come. We want to know how exceptional souls get from there to here. That's why we're curious about what was going on when Jesus was growing up. 
It seems kind of natural to pose these same questions that we pose about each other. How did you figure that out? How did you do that? What must your parents have done? Did you play soccer when you were a kid? Have you always raised people from the dead? Those are natural questions, natural curiosities. We can only wonder. And as the gospel writers do little to address our curiosity, it kind of seems like, despite how old it is and how heavy some translations of it are, that the gospels are sort of akin to social media. So much is left out. Is that a selfie stick or is her arm like really that long? The evangelist agenda, as Mark makes record, declares that the point of the Gospels is to declare the good news of Jesus Christ. The tell-all bios and documentaries, the Gospel narratives are not. And yet, our curiosity still burns. They leave us desiring. The Gospels leave us desiring a host of details about personalities and all kinds of other tantalizing little pieces of incompleteness. But as our commitment to the Apostles' Creed tells us, because the Apostles' Creed came out of a set of meetings of a set of very diverse Christian communities trying to figure out how to be in community with one another, Christian community helps us fill the gaps of our curiosity without rumor, without innuendo, without hyperbole. We can experience two things that scriptural Jesus experienced as a boy that were critical aspects of his ministry. They were the foundational things of the Christian church. Witness and witness. Witness. Acceptance and affirmation. From birth to 12 years old, Jesus was developing his capacity to accept us as humans and affirm our higher nature, despite the fact that from the time he was born, he was hunted. I mean, all of us have heard stories of people who have done things that we would never do, and then Well, I wonder what happened to him as a kid. And then someone tells us some piece of a story that may or may not be true. And then then we can understand why they might have gone wrong. Y'all, if anybody could have gone wrong, it would have been a kid that moved three times before his brie, before he was circumcised. He was circumcised by people who did, pieces of his body were cut off by people who he didn't even know. That was prophetic. What we know about babies, about how they recognize shapes, even if they can't recognize details. Can you imagine how he was screaming as a baby? We can. Though the Gospels don't give us that. And so how would this child that has had a story that for most of us we find in Netflix, in the docu-series about all the sociopaths and murderers, how does one who was born into that 
become our Messiah. As I said, from birth to 12 years old, Jesus was developing his capacity to accept us as humans and affirm our higher nature. Acceptance and affirmation. Witnessing the power of his community. Witnessing the love of his community. And being with them was what divinity in the earth brought us. Even when Jesus was a child, even before his official ministry begins, See, miracles weren't new. Like, remember this. Miracles were not new. Waters had already parted. Bushes had burned. Wombs had been opened. Famines had been, like, overcome. Miracles were not new. As a matter of fact, being the Jewish child that he was, Jesus probably grew up a Shabbat singing the songs about the miracles He'd probably seen the stones of remembrance that his family held onto from that time in the river where the tribes of Joshua were asked to grab them. But the thing about growing up Jesus that was needed to get us beyond miracles to a Messiah was empathy. Folks knew the law, but empathy was unique to the nature of Jesus as a leader. God's mercy was often requested or demanded and sometimes denied. Remember, God smites people. No, nobody else remembers like whole like floods, like just lightning, salt pillars, like. Unique to the ministry of Jesus. The reason why the Trinity is necessary is in Jesus we see divine empathy cultivated in a human. An affirmation that human beings are not failing, that we're not actually, that we're just doing the best that we can within our earthly circumstances. And so we must move from rituals and systems from to care in chaos to coherent communal ways of being, to systems of grace, systems of strength, systems of wisdom, to church and community and not going on a mountain and begging God to not smite us. that we can come together and be with one another and be curious about why the heck is this happening and not end up creating a golden calf. Because we do not feel abandoned together. As Jesus grew up in community, he was witness to empathy and accepted within community because of the commitment of his earthly father, Joseph. That's why we spent the entirety of Advent doing a character study on someone who admittedly it's like, but he's not like they mentioned his name like five times. Like, how are we going to spend seven weeks? And... Empathy and commitment. Acceptance and affirmation. 
witness and witness. Because let's admit it, y'all, sometimes we're with people and we don't see them. <laughs> hmm. Sometimes we witness things and we don't want to accept it. So even without the allegorical accounts of the Apocrypha, we can make use of the fact that Jesus was a child and had a childhood. Jesus was born and lived within community. We can take the second chapter of Luke and we can be curious about the processes of Jesus growing up because from those processes, what was meant to happen within the larger story of God for us in this earth are moving from individual begging prayers, demanding that maybe there's some grace. And maybe, maybe we'll be strong enough to get through this. And maybe, like, we'll be able to figure it out. To systems that support us and give us strength, to systems of grace to systems of wisdom. What the process of growing up Jesus means for us is that it illuminates an invitation for us to discern our own identity in relationship to the legacy of Jesus Christ. As we discussed discernment last week, what we see this week is an invitation to prepare for revolutionary transformation. If we rush to the miracles and if we rush to Lent, we get (laughs) to Jesus setting the world on fire and turning everything upside down and people believing something new. But how was anybody prepared for that? What we know of growing up Jesus encourages us to prepare our ways of being, our community, our systems for curiosity. As Christy so eloquently put it, we made tons of plans and God has shown up and done some amazing things that was not the plan. (laughs) And so how do we cultivate our ability to witness one another our ability to remain with one another throughout the demands of chaos, creation, and care so we can accept and receive the miracle that God has for us. Growing up as Jesus did in community can cultivate within us strength and wisdom and grace to withstand monumental change, the kind of change that renders murderous kings powerless and fundamentally shifts how we connect with God. Community prepares us for whatever may come. Growing up Jesus, community prepared him for miracles as well as murder and everything in between. Community prepares us for ministry. In community, the Pauline letters attribute perseverance and strength to the fact that in community, I have rejoiced greatly in the Lord and at your renewed concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it because I wasn't with you. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever my circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And God, Jesus, in this earth, cultivated that strength in himself through community. And so as the wisdom goes, if you want to go alone, you can go quickly. If you go together, you can go far.